Well, good morning. That's great. Great response. That's a good start. Um, yes, yeah, so we're continuing on this series in, uh, throughout the summer on rhythm. And in a lot of ways, we, um, we, another title we could have given it was um, what it means to be human. Because in a lot of ways, we're thinking about what it looks like for us to really live true to our created purposes, um, to our created rhythms as given by God. Um, so each week, we hope to build on the things that we've done from the previous week. We don't want these to be just standalone talks individually. So, so you might hear stuff that you've heard from the last couple of weeks as well. And we've done, I've done that on purpose because I want us to build on each of the practices that we've done from the following, the previous weeks going forward. Does that make sense? So, um, so far we've done pace, which is the first week, living an unhurried life. We've looked at Sabbath, um, taking one day in seven to set it apart to worship and rest. Um, And then last week we looked at communing with God in a place of silence and solitude. We did actually toy with the idea of having just three minutes of silence on the podcast. (laughs) We thought no one would ever actually listen to it to the end. They thought it would be something something wrong with it, so we didn't do that. Um, And this week we're looking at the theme of limitations. I got a good one, didn't I? <laughs> so it's probably not going to be the preach where you all say amen and hallelujah and preach it and all of that. But it is such an important theme for us to get our head around. It's what it looks like for us to know what the God-given limits are in our lives. Um, and in a moment, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2. Uh, so you might want to start getting that ready. It's the first book of the Bible, so you don't have to search very hard. You just open, turn a few pages. Um, But firstly, I want to just speak into a little bit of the culture that we have as it reflects limits. And um, there's some of, it's actually quite old now, but there's a film that came out in 2011, so eight years ago, called Limitless. Has anyone seen that film? Um, Yeah, so it came out back then, it's Bradley Cooper as the main character, and the kind of premise of the film is this, that um, he's a writer, a failed writer, he's got pretty severe writer's block. And things just seem to be a little bit of, he's kind of a bit in a bit of a rut, really. And he's trying to figure out what to do. His relationship's not going particularly well. And he comes across this friend who seems to have everything together. Everything's going well for him. And they have a conversation. And he says, how did, you, how did you manage to get to where you are? And the guy takes out these little tablets and says, I took one of these and it unlocked my potential. And essentially, then the whole film is a Hollywood film. So, of course, it doesn't all go well. Things go wrong and people start... Um, chasing him down and all that kind of stuff. But essentially the whole film is him taking one of these tablets um, and it unlocking his potential. And he starts to write a whole book in the course of one evening. He learns concert level piano over the course, course of a couple of days rather than years. And, um, and the film finishes with this final scene where he's, he's finally broken free of all of the kind of people that are trying to control him and limit him, of his own, broken free of his own limits. And he's living this limitless life to his full potential. So the moral of the story is, we, don't, maybe, we maybe don't have one of those little tablets, but there's more for you that's just outside of your reach. They ignore your limits. Don't let other people or other things define you or hold you back from being the full version of you, the extraordinary you, the successful you, the limitless you. All of those things are just outside of your reach. And I could have said all of that in a slightly different tone, and you'd have all said, yes, I really like that, you know? Yeah, I love, I love the idea of being limitless, of, of being potential, being successful. And because the reality is that this actually is a hugely uh, prevalent narrative in our culture. Humanity just needs to keep pushing through 
to break through the boundaries of what we've seen before. And actually, it dates right back to the Enlightenment. So that's the geek fact for you. When, at, the, at the moment of the Enlightenment, essentially, it was where humanity celebrated together this, this, this huge achievements of, of our intellect, of thinking, and started to ask the question, is there anything we cannot do? And so we're riding off the back of that, really, up until present day today, of asking that question, is there anything that we can't do? And lots of that has been hugely positive. So some of the breakthroughs that we've had because of it are the scientific boom of the last 20, 30 years, the significant advancements in health and technology and travel. It's also lots of reasons why we've seen change in the way that we think about human rights and freedoms as we drive towards this betterment of humanity, being more fully human. But there's a significant dark side to this perspective too because it presents uh, a way of life, a rhythm of living, which for most of us can be destructive. Because it suggests that we should spend all of our time focusing on the edges of our lives, on the limits that we have, and view each of those limits as restrictive barriers, things which get in the way of our freedom. And it takes no account for the natural and positive limitations that have been given to us by God. And with, when you look at it through that lens, you then understand, start to understand why people are working 60, 70 hour weeks because our measures of success keep getting bigger and bigger as we see people do greater and greater things. And we feel like we ought to try and measure up to that. We've got to try and do the same or better than them. You also understand why divorce is on the rise because why stay in a relationship if it's limiting your potential? Using those kinds of words. It's stopping you from being who you want to be. And also why relationships are so different to what they used to be. As we kind of stop being about just building a few deep connections and are more focused on the number of followers that we have. Um, you see the shifts? And again and again, we're being presented by this worldview which says, ignore your limits, think bigger, be extraordinary, break through boundaries. And it's a culture of the world, but also we very, very quickly buy into it as a culture in church stretching beyond our limits, chasing after big dreams. And there's nothing wrong with, with that in one sense. And we inspire each other through that. Um, but there's also some dangers to it. And actually, I did a little search so, of a title, a life, without, a life Without Limits, just to see whether anything Christian came up. And it's lots, there's lots of sermon titles called A Life Without Limits. There are lots of books called A Life Without Limits. I just found a few of them which I quite liked. Life Without Limits, colon, inspiration for a ridiculously good life. Gotta read that. Radical faith, colon, life without limits. And then my favorite was life without limits, colons, reposition yourself, all in capitals. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the content of any of these books. I haven't read them. But the problem is that it all presents this one sided view of life, one where we're constantly extending beyond our natural boundaries and limitations and trying to do and be everything. And so often, I think in the process, we miss out on the beauty and the holiness of living within the ordinary rhythms of our life. So let's read Genesis 2 together before we keep going. We're going to start in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. 
And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. For for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Then Adam gets really excited. And let's get down to chapter 3. <laughs> now, verse, starting verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So we have this incredible creation story at the start of the Bible, which reflects on what it means for God to create us and what it means for us to relate to God. And I think right in the middle of it, in this story, we have a glimpse into what it looks like for God to have created us to flourish within limits. And when we look at this passage, I think initially we see five arenas of play, that's what I'm going to call them, five distinctive areas which make up our humanity, which are all fully defined. And I just want to pull out each of them, so we'll keep looking at the verses as we go through each of them. So starting in verse 7, right at the start where I read that, God creates humanity from the dust, from the earth. And even the name of the first man, Adam, that literally means earth. So we are created to be grounded people people of the earth, rooted to a particular place for a particular people. And that is our first arena of play. We have a place, a home. And for Adam and Eve, that was the Garden of Eden. So number one, place, home. Number two, verse 15. God puts Adam and Eden to work and care for the garden. So that's our second arena, is work. We're created to be people who carry responsibility and care. That's the words that Genesis uses. And we find life in that work as we're responsible for and care for others and care for the things that we do. Number three, our third arena is our minds, our creativity and intelligence. It's in verse 19. And in the middle of this creative process, God brings before all the animals before Adam and says, I want you to name these. And whatever you name, each of these creatures will be the name that's given to them. He invites us to, part to us to participate. He wants us to value our creativity, our intelligence, and to value our minds. 
So that's the third arena. The fourth is in verse 22. God creates Eve, knowing that we need relationship not just with him, but with other people. We are created to be people of relationship, to know closeness with others is a fundamental part of being human. And then the fifth arena is a little bit more assumed throughout the whole chapter. And actually, you only really notice it at the point where it's no longer present. And it's right at the end of what I was reading in chapter 3, verse 8, when God walks in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve hide from him. And what you can easily read from that is then that God regularly walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. That was the fifth arena. The fifth defining marker of being human was relationship with God, walking with him. So I want us to keep all five of these in the front of our minds throughout the course of this morning because I'm going to refer back to them quite regularly. This idea that we have home, we're created to be people of a place, we're created to be people who work, who have creativity and intelligence and use those things as a place of life, who relate to each other and relate to God as fundamental parts of being human. So with all those things in our minds, I'm going to focus in on something right in the middle of Genesis here. Because there's something that happens right at the center of the garden as God creates it. It's in verse 17. There's this tree. And we, we all know what that tree is. We kind of don't really like talking about the tree. It's like, don't mention the tree. Because when people ask about questions of Genesis, they're like, why would, why would God create a tree that, of the knowledge of good and evil that's right in the middle of the garden? I mean, why not just not create it? I mean, this sounds like it's just going to cause lots of problems. So just like leave that part out in the process of creating the Garden of Eden. Do you know? You, you, have you ever thought that before? <laughs> um, but I want to suggest this, that right at the outset of creation, we have a very clear boundary. There is a visible, uncomfortably unavoidable limitation. And it's not right out in the edges of the garden. It's not somewhere that's hard to find or you have to really pursue it to find it. It's right in the middle of the garden. It's always visible. It's always present. So the tree sits at the center of what it means to be in the garden. And I think for us, it's, there's something about that which is right at the center of us being human. Limitation is part of how we as created beings remain true to our created purpose as humans. To know what is ours and what isn't. To know and live well in these five arenas. But to know equally that we are not God. We are not limitless. And we can't do everything on our own. And how do we know this? Well, um, still with those five things in the back of our minds, you can see how each are impacted at the point of the fall. At the fall, when sin enters, Adam and Eve ignore this limitation, this one command of God, and overstretch, overstretch their limits. And in that moment, choose to change the rule and authority of God for their own rule and authority. And what I want us to notice is, in the process, all five of these areas are affected. So look at number one. So um, for place, Adam and Eve become unrooted. They become displaced. They physically have to leave their home, the Garden of Eden, the place which grinds them, the place which they were given and were invited to work. And then number two, their work, the place which was a gift of God, becomes toil. Actually, it might be the next slide further on that says each of those. Yes, here we go. So it become, becomes toil, it becomes labor, they become overworked. And then number three, how they think changes from creativity and intelligence as a place of life to kind of being something almost about ownership and control. And there's conflict between creation and humanity. And fourth, relationships become corrupted. 
as um, Adam and Eve can't relate to each other in the same way they were created to, and they start to own and control one another. You can see that in Genesis chapter 3 as well. And then finally, and actually the very first note, thing that they notice, in this, in, we can notice in the scriptures, is that they hide from God, or they feel the need to hide from God. So these are the five things which the creation account sees as the most important things for us to know, the five arenas which make up our created humanity, and all of them are corrupted by this desire to live without limits, to live by our own rule and to ignore the rhythm and life that God offers us. Everyone is impacted, and the impact is literally world-changing. And the issue is, for us, is we could just say, well, you know, that's a 4,000-year-old story. It's got some nice moral truths to it, doesn't it? But it is just as much present with us today. We can be just as much in danger of repeating the same pattern. And I think this culture, which I was reflecting on at the start, is probably more in danger than, than any other has been before at really causing us to live like this, to live a life without knowing our limits. And... Um, I'm going after these five things quite a lot. So, so if, you, if you think about how all of these things are worked out in our culture, we're being displaced. We become, we're becoming more and more global in the way that we view the world, aren't we? With the amount of information that's flooded into us each day. As I remember reading before, something like we could read more news in one day than someone would have heard in their whole lifetime 150 years ago. So we're in the process... And also, alongside that, there's, um, there's more, we're more and more aware of all the places that we aren't, aren't we? We see people going to visit these incredible locations, like, I need to be there. I need to see all of this. I'm going to have a bucket list that's longer than I'll ever get through in my whole life. <laughs> Do you know? And we, while we love the idea of home, we don't like the idea of being tied down. I so rarely hear someone say now, I've decided I'm going to stay in this home, in this place for the rest of my life. Do you know? We don't hear that very often. And then number two, um, work, the gift of God to carry responsibility and care. In our circum- circumstances, in our culture, um, that's all-consuming, isn't it? As the measure of success grows and grows, we feel the need to always be working, to let, line up and compare how well we're doing to others around us, the, the one in a million people who managed to be successful before the 30 and make millions of pounds. We feel the need to try and measure up to that level of success. And in the process, feel guilty when we're not working all the time. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I have this just moment of slight satisfaction when I have to reply to an email in an evening, even though I should, or on a holiday, just to keep on top of things. Maybe that's just me. I'm just a terrible person. Okay, let's keep going. Um, so number three, the, around creativity in our minds. We feel the need to consume and own things. And, um, so a really obvious example for me would be around the arts, just because that was part of how I studied. And um, just being really aware of the fact that more and more education systems are cutting funding to the arts, to music teaching, to opportunities for people to learn instruments. Um, because why, why learn an instrument? It doesn't really help you in a career all that much. Most of my friends who are music students aren't working doing music jobs <laughs> because it's not really a career's job. And then along, alongside that, even just if you think about education more generally, and I'm sure some people who are teachers here will, will, will see this as well, that lots of the curriculum is, is driven towards success in exams rather than necessarily success in building people towards lives. And you probably have to fight to do that in the way that you teach. We have this drive towards success, which impacts the way that we create and think about intelligence. 
And then fourth, um, relationship breakdown. This is probably more obvious, but we misunderstand and miscommunicate. And I think the most obvious thing for us in our culture is the fact that there's this epidemic of loneliness in Western culture that we don't know how to relate to one, one another, and that's just growing. And then finally, um, in our relationship with God, we, we move God to the margins, that God is for the spaces where we realize that we've overstretched um, and not for the rest of our lives. It's a nice light message this morning, isn't it? <laughs> you all feeling good about the culture that we're in? <laughs> um, the, the reality is that we all feel this, don't we? I'm not telling you things that you're not already aware of. Um, but still, even though we've, we're aware of it, we can so quickly buy into it and live up to this, try to live up to this measure of success which the world tells us we ought to try and meet towards this limitless life, this kind of, this life where we spend all of our time kind of really here, right at the edge, kind of just slightly balancing ourselves. And all it takes is just saying a couple of things, saying yes to a few things that we should really be saying no to. And we find ourselves overstretched, overtired, under-motivated, and I think crucially, and this is what I want to communicate this morning, is that in that process, we undervalue all of the beauty of our ordinary lives, and we're less aware of what God is doing there because we're so focused here. Brenny Bryan, who's very popular and everyone quotes all the time right now, she said this, the overwhelming message in our culture today is that an ordinary life is a meaningless life. No matter how happy and fulfilling their small, quiet life is, they feel it must not mean very much because it's not the way that people are measuring success, which is just terrifying. And I mean, there are so many examples I could give, um, but I'm already depressing you enough, so I'm just going to give you one. And I think actually it acts like a bit of a domino effect for all the others, and that's our, our work. And when I say work, I'm not just talking about paid employment. I mean anything where you carry responsibility and care. That's work. For many of us, I think we too easily disregard the limits of our work, as if someone's dared us to. And we feel it in each other, don't we? We love the word busy. I don't know how many times I hear the word busy in conversations. I, don't know, maybe, I feel like weekly I have a conversation that goes something like this. Oh, how's your week going? <sighs> yeah, pretty busy right now. I've had to work a couple of evenings this week just to keep it up with my deadlines. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, yeah, I'm going on holiday in a few weeks, so I'm going to have to do all of the work that I'd be doing if I was on holiday in the next week as well, just to keep it up with all that stuff. And then the four Yorkshiremen would say, you were lucky. Anyone get that quote? A few people. Monty Python. Look at it later. <laughs> we test our limits over and over again, and every arena of our lives is affected. We test the limits of our work, and in the process, we struggle to stop and rest at home. We can too quickly squeeze out time with God each day. We pour all of our creativity and intelligence into productivity. And then I think we start to look at the bottom line in our relationships. What is, what is it that I can get away with doing in order to see, make sure that my relationships are okay? When's the next time I can get away with seeing family? Or when is, how much do I need to be present at home in order for things to still be okay? You know, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter. And to be honest, that's probably the biggest thing for me is when I feel busy and stretched and I overstretch my limits, and the things I start to think are, when's the next time we really need to, 
to go and visit family before they'll start to get annoyed at the fact we've visited them for a while. Or, um, or maybe even, maybe I'll say to Lindsay, can we just skip date night this week just so that I can crash out because I'm really tired, do you know? And the things that become, that should be life-giving to us become obligations, things that we know we ought to do but aren't doing. So the question for us I have is, where, what does that look like for us where we are just now? Where, where do we know that we're just overstepping, that we're maybe standing a bit too close to the edge? And um, just before I continue, why don't, why don't we just allow God to speak into that? And, and to invite his grace and mercy into it. This isn't, uh, let's, let's do better kind of, kind of talk, but it's, it's a, a talk where we realize we need God in the middle of all of it. So maybe just take this next moment just to invite God to gently maybe point out what that looks like for you where you are before I keep going. have to take some time to pray for some of those things at the end um, together. But I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to finish with condemnation. I don't want you to feel like I've just been swinging a sledgehammer around all morning. <laughs> um, so instead, what I want to do is to help, give, re, help us recapture a vision for the ordinary parts of our lives, to see the invitation to life in all of its fullness as an invitation to live well within these five arenas we've been created for which all provide really good and helpful limits for us. Because I think that is the answer. And actually, um, in verse 9 of chapter 2 that we were reading earlier on, it's really interesting that um, when God creates and builds the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right beside it, um, is it there? Yes, is the tree of life. The two of them are right in the center of the garden. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but for me, that really picked up my attention, so, that God didn't accidentally put two, what feels like quite contradictory trees right beside each other. <laughs> but I think that's the reality, is that we discover life when we live within our created limits. So what does that look like for us as we look at each of those five arenas in our own lives? To, first off, to see our home, the place that we currently are, as a place of life for us. And not to be constantly striving for that bigger, nicer place that might have a bit more space in the garden, but to be content and know the life and the place that we are. And that even extends to this building and the place that we are here and the gift that God wants to give us through that. Second, through our work, to see our work as a gift from God and allow that shift in thinking to stop you from feeling the need to always measure up to a level of success um, that's given you to you by the world, and instead allow God to be the one who does that with you, to the honor and worship of God to be your primary drive and motivation. Third, to see the gift of creativity in our minds, to create space for being creative and thinking deeply and not feeling like it always has to have a productive end, that that's a place of life for us. Fourth, to see the gift of our relationship with others, with our friends, with our family, 
And crucially, I think, in that one, not always comparing where we are in our life stage to the life stage of someone else. So if you're single, not just always waiting to be married and forget, not seeing what God wants to do where you are. If you're married, not just waiting until you have kids. If you have kids, not just looking back at the people that don't have kids and getting jealous of the fact they go on all these holidays. If, if you have grown-up kids and not just thinking about retirement, and if you're retired, not just thinking about the people who are at work. It's so easy for us to do it, isn't it? To see the life in other people's stage and not see the life that God wants to reveal to us where we are. And then finally, to see the invitation to walk in daily rhythm with God again. To see it as an invitation, not as an obligation, but something which grounds us as people created in his image. And just to close, as a bit of a weak caveat, I'm not anti-vision. I'm sorry if that's what comes across from the stock. I'm not against going big dreams. And actually, I think we need to run after the big dreams that God's placed in our hearts. But what I'm hoping is that this is just a slight corrective so that we don't always expect and only expect God to do the great things on our edges of us and miss all that he's doing in our ordinary lives. Such that we're as expectant and as aware of God working as we sit around a dinner, dinner table or have a conversation with a neighbor as we are when we have those miraculous stories of God working at the edges. Does that make sense? That we see both and have a bigger, more full picture of God working in our lives. So we don't have a, we don't have a prayer team, but I'd, I'd actually love to lead us in just a bit of a, a longer time of prayer, maybe as the band comes up and Lindsay plays some lovely Holy Spirit pads. <laughs> um, and I just want us to walk through each of those five areas again and just leave a bunch of space at the end of each of them for us to, where we are, invite God to remind us of what he's doing in those places and to thank him for where we are in those places. So wait for some nice background music to play. And so why don't we just begin to invite God to speak to us? God, I just I want to thank you that, um, for the reminder this morning that we were created by you, that we're not by accident. And in fact, when you created us, you said we were very good. And there's so much of, of our humanity that you want to affirm in us and, and to remind us of, of the places that you're doing your work through those places as well. So I just want to, want to walk through each. And so God, I thank you for the place that we call home, for the place that we are. We thank you for the way that you want to speak life through where we are, that you want to grind us as people. So we, just, we thank you for our place just now, whatever that might look like for each of us individually.
for our work, for the place where we carry responsibility. Would you forgive us where we have felt the need to always measure our levels of success against our colleagues, against our friends? Would you help us to see again that our work is a gift from you? Help us to worship you through it. And God, we thank you for the way that you created us to be creative, to be people who think. And uh, I just... I. I want to pray that you'd really help us to really see the life in that, to be creative with our time, with um, the way we rest, the way that we worship. And where maybe, maybe we felt guilty before of, of doing things which have no maybe productive end, God, would you just remind us of the life that you're growing in us as we take those times to do something you created us for? families, for our relationships, for our friends, for the people that we walk closely with. And we just want to, yeah, we just want to reaffirm that we're thankful for what we have, for what you've given us, to the people in our lives. Help us to find the life in those places again. call us to walk with you in each day and uh, for, forgive us for where we've seen that as an obligation or as a checkbox exercise and I just want to pray for us that you would um, just relight a passion to spend time with you an excitement for it knowing that it is a life-giving uh, rooting grinding thing for us It's not something for the margins, it's something for every part of our lives.